0: Right, so here we go. This is now looking at uh, sort of part three. It's been a trilogy of talks on the fig tree. So if you remember part one was all about the fruit and looking at the fig itself. Part two was looking at the tree and part three tonight is looking at what I've called the future. And the reason that I sort of split it like that, I guess is because Uh, To start with when I was looking at the fig tree I went back to the very first mention of uh, figs which is all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. So the first talk was really centered on what the on the fruit and the, um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and we'll touch on that again in just a second just to remind you what we talked about then. And then the second talk was all about uh, the tree itself. So the first talk was about the fruit. The second talk's all about the tree itself. And we looked to see that the tree was symbolic of Israel as a nation. And tonight, what we're doing are two things really. We're looking at all the references to the fig tree in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And we're also going to see that, in fact, the fig tree is mentioned all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation. And it can actually there is an actual um, parable in the that Jesus told that's all about pointing to his to the future and his future return. So that's why I thought I'd call this particular talk uh, the future. So just to recap, a couple of points that we covered in the last two talks. So the first thing that we talked about was the fact that God planted a garden. Uh, in Eden at the very beginning all of that's detailed in Genesis chapters two and three and in the center of the garden uh, where there were two trees actually of course there was the tree of life and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil and it's that tree that we've been looking at during these series of talks where I've come to the conclusion um, and obviously it's down to you I guess as to what you make of this But I've come to the conclusion that beyond all reasonable doubt, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. Just as we have fig trees today, it was a fig tree. And once you see the tree of knowledge of good and evil as a fig tree, then many other things start unlocking. And there's lots of passages that take on a new light when you see it in in that sense. Uh, One of the clues that we looked at that the the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a, a fig tree is the fact, of course, that as soon as Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, and that was at the very second that they ate from the fruit, they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And we basically said, well, why would they have wandered around the garden looking for other leaves. Surely if they were that ashamed, they would have grabbed the nearest leaves to them and that's why we're told that they didn't go and find another tree, we're just told that they found these fig leaves. Uh, And as we also said it sort of doesn't make sense really to have picked fig leaves if you were shopping around for nice leaves because they're very coarse, in fact they're almost sandpapery uh, on your skin. And so it's sort of unlikely that they wandered around and thought "Oh, these are lovely leaves to cover ourselves with. It's more, more likely that they grabbed the first leaves that they could find and clearly the first leaves they, they were going to find would be the tree that they stood next to. So there's a big clue I think that God's giving us uh, that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. The other thing that I then looked at was how the fruit itself was pollinated. I'm just going to play you that 90 second little video again, just to set the scene uh, for this talk. So hopefully this uh, works okay. And so the pollen laden wasp reaches an immature fig, but her journey is far from over. Ahead lies the greatest challenge of her brief life. Clawing and squeezing her way through the gate, her wings and antenna are ripped from her. She makes the ultimate sacrifice as the final push to enter bursts her abdomen. In an epic struggle between sacrifice and survival, the mother wasp crawls through the narrow labyrinth towards the inner chamber. She is wounded and weak, carrying only her eggs and the pollen gift from the former fig. If the wasp fails to pollinate the flowers, no seeds will ever develop. Fig fruits with no future are costly to the tree, so they will not receive an inflow of nutrients. If the wasp does not pollinate, the entire fig may be aborted. However, if she devotes herself to pollination, as well as laying eggs, she ensures the fig will hold the promise of seeds. The tree will pump sugars and nutrients into the fig, securing the future of seeds and larvae alike. When they mature and leave, the fig will ripen, thus completing the cycle of mutual benefit. So there we are, that's the little video that sort of explains how a fig is pollinated. And without going into that all again, that's all in uh, the first talk, but just to recap a couple of things, there's some key phrases that that came out of uh, this little video. Uh, Some of the phrases were that there was, uh, it's like an enclosed garden, the fruit itself, is like an enclosed garden because all the flowers are inside. There's only one very narrow way in you heard the phrase there about the ultimate sacrifice so this little fig wasp is sacrificing itself for the good of the fruit because as soon as it crawls in its wings are torn off its antennae are torn off and it dies and in fact the fruit itself somehow rather knows that the fig wasp has gone in and the entrance is closed there is no way for the wasp to get back out You heard the phrases there about the wasp being wounded and weak. Um, There's also this phrase about it being devoted to pollination. Uh, There's the promise of seeds. So, through the sacrifice of the fig wasp, there is then the promise of seeds. And you also heard the phrase that the future of the fig is secured. And what we said was amazingly, that the very fruit that Jesus, sorry, the very fruit that Adam and Eve ate which was their test, had got the uh, solution to their problem, i.e. their sin, in a a symbolic sense, built within the fig itself, which is just incredible. And to me, that's another sort of major tick in the box to say this really does seem to point to the fig tree being uh, this uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil. The other thing is, of course, in Jeremiah 24, and this is an interesting passage because it's talking about the people living in Israel itself, and God, uh, uh, speaking to Isaiah, talks about a basket with good figs in it and a basket with naughty, but that is exactly the same word as evil, uh, evil figs. So we've actually got a reference here in the Bible to good and evil figs. So it's again, another incredible sort of clue that God has left for us that this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And and, and so we looked at that in in some detail last time. The other thing that we moved on and looked at was the fact that God uh, saw and still does see is Israel itself as a nation, as the tree itself. So you've almost got Jesus, I guess, being like the perfect fruit on this tree and of course Jesus is not only the perfect fruit he's also the perfect fig wasp because the fig wasp is giving itself as a sacrifice but Jesus himself is this perfect fruit he wasn't an evil fruit he was a very good fruit so but the tree of course and Jesus was connected to the tree of Israel because he was uh, a Jew Uh, and so he was uh, part of the, the, this tree of Israel and there in Hosea 9 verse 10 it says I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness and I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree. So what we're sort of saying is that the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil had good figs and had evil figs if you like and the idea is for us to become good figs. And the only way that we can be good figs is by accepting the sacrifice, effectively, of the fig wasp that goes in. So that's the sacrifice of Jesus. The only way we can become uh, a fruit that's edible that you can eat is if it becomes pollinated by the fig wasp. If the fig isn't pollinated by the fig wasp, as you heard in that video, Um, the tree stops giving nutrients to that fig and it drops to the ground and it's and it's useless. So we have to have the sacrifice of Jesus that enables us to become a good fruit. And of course, Jesus was the perfect fruit. And all of us are intimately connected with the tree of Israel because all of us, through the sacrifice of Jesus, Jew or Gentile, become part of uh, the tree of Israel and again we looked at that in some detail last time. So in simple terms on, on this tree you've got the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect uh, fig and you've got the tree itself being Israel as a nation and what I was then able to do is to say well if these three things are interchangeable. Can I look at passages in the Bible to help me see things in a new light? In other words, you know, the tree of knowledge was a fig tree and the fig tree is symbolic of Israel. Uh, And therefore, if I read about the fig tree, I can link back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And I can also link forward to something being symbolic of of Israel as well. I can also look at uh, fruit. So there could be good fruit and we would expect perhaps some uh, people to be uh, good in relation to the fig tree, and we can expect some people to be evil in relation to uh, the fig tree. So that, that's a very quick recap, I think, on what we talked about. So what I wanted to do now is just look at every reference that I could find in the New Testament, and there's actually quite a number of them that reference the fig tree or figs, okay? So, the first time, this is um, looking at it chronologically, okay, so I'm not starting at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and going that way, I'm looking at uh, chronologically the order of when figs are mentioned, and if you look at it that way chronologically, then the first time that figs are mentioned, or a fig tree is mentioned in this case, is with the calling of one of the 12 disciples called Nathanael. He's also known as uh, Bartholomew, I think. And in John chapter 1, verse 45, it says these words. It says, uh, F- "Sorry, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. So here's a really interesting uh, calling, if you like, of Nathaniel, and we're told specifically that Jesus saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, and this obviously um, blows Nathaniel's mind. Is perhaps one way of putting it because he. His response to Jesus saying that is, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But isn't it interesting that we've got this reference to fig tree here? Why are we told that? Why does Jesus sort of highlight this? Um, and, And straight away, by the way, before we think about that, you notice that there's some interesting words here. Can anything good come from there? So we've got a reference to good, and we've got a reference to fig trees, and our minds go back to the garden, don't they, where there's good uh, in, in the garden, and there's, there's things that are evil in the garden. In fact, of course, the other thing that was in the garden uh, was the serpent, and the serpent was full of deceit and guile. And here is Jesus saying to Nathaniel, "There's no deceit, there's no guile. There's no subtlety in you, Nathaniel." Um, I was looking up about this and I might be wrong I've just read a number of different things about this situation of sitting under a, a fig tree but apparently it was a, a common place for prayer, uh, especially for young rabbinic uh, students so young people basically or young, young men who were training to be a rabbi uh, would go and pray and the, for, they would often go and pray under a fig tree. Um, they understood that the fig tree was symbolic of Israel. I think they probably understood a, a lot more about fig trees than even we do. And they would, they, it was a common place for them um, to go and pray. The other interesting thing is that um, the Jewish believer was taught that he who, when he prays, does not pray for the coming of the Messiah has not prayed at all. So in other words, the Jews were taught to pray every prayer, had to include uh, a prayer for the coming of the Messiah. And I guess, in a sense, we do that in every prayer as well, don't we? We always pray uh, for the return of the Messiah. Um, And so it's quite interesting, perhaps, that Nathaniel was, was under a fig tree, praying about the Messiah to come. And then, lo and behold, Jesus said, "I saw you while you were under the fig tree, and probably uh, uh, Nathaniel was completely on his own and knew that no one could have possibly have seen him where he was. Perhaps he was in a very um, isolated place when he was giving the prayer. And, and so it, it sort of astounded him that Jesus knew that fact, and remarkably, he put two and two together and said, "You are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel." He recognized that his prayer for the Messiah uh, to come was actually not only answered, but was stood in front of him talking to him. And all of this is is happening in front of uh, Jesus who had seen him under a fig tree. It's interesting, of course, that Nathaniel's first reaction to Philip was, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Uh, Nazareth uh, is obviously a town in Israel and it actually means the guarded one or the guarded place and that made me also think back to uh, Genesis and Eden because Eden was a guarded place because God uh, put the two cherubim at the entrance to the garden as, as a guard to that uh, to, to, to that uh, garden and um, yeah so there, there could be some links there so as I've already mentioned when we think about uh, Jesus saying to Nathaniel that there is no deceit it's almost an identical word back into the Hebrew where God calls the serpent deceitful or subtle or it's full of guile Um Genesis 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And Jesus says, No, Nathaniel, you're you're not full of deceit, you're not full of guile. You're you're, you haven't um you're not following the path of the serpent and sin. You are a faithful person, and you're you're trying to follow me or look for me, and that's why I'm going to take you uh from under the fig tree. You're a good fruit that 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 I can. Uh, work with. Um, And surely there was no better statement than than Nathaniel could have made than recognizing Jesus as the Son of God and the King of Israel. Remarkable man. And he's hardly ever mentioned uh, again in the New Testament, but he was one of the 12 disciples. The next time we read about the fig tree chronologically is the parable of the barren fig tree. So bearing in mind this is a parable, it's not a real situation, this is a story now that Jesus is telling and all of this occurs in the third year of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and this is in Luke 13 verses 5 to 8 and it's sort of just before he tells the parable the words that Jesus says are, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he tells a parable. And Jesus says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for, the fruit, on this, look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. So this is a story. It's not a real fig tree in this instance, but there's quite a bit of detail, isn't there, that we're given um, in this short parable. There's Jesus's parables are often just a few verses long but have got key bits of information in that can really sort of help you understand what what he's getting at, and it's got to be significant that in the story uh, there's this reference to three years this um, this man has been looking for fruit on this fig tree, and he can't find any fruit, and he says that's it, let's cut it down, and this. Another person says, well, leave it alone for just one more year, and let's see what happens, basically. Well, we know, don't we, because we've already said this, that the fig tree itself is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And quite clearly, therefore, Jesus in the parable is referring to the nation of Israel. And if you think about it, Jesus his role if you like what he was doing as he was going around from place to place from place to place in Israel was looking for the fruit of repentance that's what he was looking for he was looking for people to listen to him repent and to turn to God it's exactly the same message that we have today to repent and be baptized uh, but he he wasn't finding it uh, in Israel and Yes, there were tiny little pockets of it, but on mass, he wasn't finding it. And of course, Jesus, when this parable was given, was in his third year of his ministry. And of course, we got the reference to for three years, I've been looking for some good fruit and I'm, I'm not finding any. That's what he says in his parable. And then somebody persuades him to, well, leave it just a little bit longer And in fact, from the time that he gave the parable to the point when he was uh, crucified was only literally just uh, maybe a few months uh, later. I don't know the exact number of months, but it was only months uh, later when Jesus was crucified. And of course, at some point after that, which we're going to look at, Israel was going to be removed from being uh, a nation. So that was his uh, parable there. It's a great warning, really, to those who were listening to him. And I'm sure most of the people listening to him, especially his Jewish audience, would have known exactly what he was getting at because they, I think they did understand that Israel was symbolic of the fig tree. I look back because I was looking at these words that Jesus was saying. And of course, John the Baptist, before Jesus really came along, uh, was saying exactly the same. Thing. Um, he was saying in Luke chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. In other words, you can't just say, Because we're related to Abraham, we've got a free ticket into the coming kingdom he said you can't you've got to have fruits worthy of repentance and look what look what john the baptist says and this is really jesus is echoing john the Baptist's words later on because john the baptist said and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees every tree therefore which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire So John the Baptist as well, even though he doesn't mention the fig tree, is is giving an identical message. What Jesus does is really focus in not on the trees, he focuses in on the specific tree, which is the fig tree, which is Israel. We then come to the next chronological um, incident of a fig tree, and you might well have missed this one or bypassed it because it doesn't say fig tree Uh, as you see there on the slide I've got Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree but a sycamore tree was a type of fig tree it was a it was basically a tree that was full of bitter figs and it was known as the sycamore tree but but it is as I say a fig tree but there aren't any figs that you can eat off this particular tree all of them are bitter So we read in Luke 19, verse two to six, it says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, uh, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich, so he was basically a tax collector. And he sought to see Jesus who he was, and he couldn't because of the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into this sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, came down and received him joyfully. Now, isn't this incredible that we've got a man sat in a, a fig tree, but full of bitter figs. And there is Zacchaeus, And I would put it to you that in his life, he had been a very, very bitter fig. He had been somebody that had taken an extortionate amount of money off uh, people because he was a a tax collector. And not only that, his allegiance hadn't been to the nation at all. It had been to the conquering nation, the ruling nation. uh, And of course, that was uh, the Empire of Rome. So his allegiance was. Effectively back to Caesar. And so, of all the sort of figs that you could possibly get, in if you're thinking of a fig as being a a person, either good or or evil, in this, you know, there there is Zacchaeus in this tree epitomizing everything to do with bitterness and uh, a fruit that was not one that you could do anything with. But of course, there's Zacchaeus wanting to see Jesus. He absolutely wanted to see Jesus. And as we'll see in the next couple of verses, Zacchaeus completely repented. And so Jesus encouraged Zacchaeus to come out of that bitter tree. You notice that. He says, come down, make haste, get out of that tree, Jesus is saying, and, and, and follow me. So when we look at what happened next, in verse uh, 8 of Luke 19, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord behold Lord the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation I restore him fourfold which is a lot more than even the law had asked him to do and Jesus said unto him this day is salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man is to is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Zacchaeus was a lost fruit, and Jesus, through his teaching, had impacted Zacchaeus to the extent that he completely repented and not only said the words, I'm sorry, said, I'm not just going to say I'm sorry to people, I'm literally going to restore what I have uh, taken from them when I shouldn't have done. So Again, to me, this is an amazing thing, especially when you can link it back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and all that symbology that that, that we've looked at. So now we move on again, and now we're in Mark chapter 11, and we've got this very interesting situation here. Now, this is not just the last year of Jesus's ministry. We're now in the last week of Jesus's ministry. And what we've got here is Jesus cursing an actual fig tree. So whereas before the one that we looked at was a parable where the, in the parable uh, the man wanted to cut the whole thing down, here what we've got is a real fig tree. So in Mark 11 verse 11 it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find if it got any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, there's one thing that I've highlighted on there in in bold there, because it, it seems a very odd thing to do. Jesus is walking past the fig tree and... Looking for figs, he doesn't find any, but it actually says there in the Bible that it wasn't the season for figs. And Jesus seems to be extremely frustrated by the fact that there weren't any figs, even though it wasn't the season for figs. And then he curses the tree and says, Right, well, you're never going to grow any fruit again. And that the next day they walk by, and lo and behold, from the very roots itself, the whole fig tree had withered from top, well, no, not from top to bottom, from bo- from bottom to top, isn't it? Because it was the roots first. So the, the million-dollar question is, well, why did Jesus curse this fig tree when it wasn't the season for figs? That seems a bit of a harsh thing to do. And the answer is quite remarkable. Because what we haven't, covered at all in any of the talks so far is that there are in fact two crops of figs but the first crop which is in towards the end of March is basically they're called brebber figs and they're not really figs they're they're almost like very small well you can see there in the text that's on the screen they're small little knobs they're tiny little things that um they're not real figs at all. They're like, as it says, they're an early forerunner. Uh, and they grow to the size of almonds, or almonds, I should say. And what used to happen was that um, peasants and uh, servants, if you like, would, would take these and, and, and eat them because they weren't ever harvested. They've got very, very little value. It wasn't really the fruit. Um, but here's the very interesting thing. The interesting thing is that these little tiny uh, green almonds appeared when the leaves appeared. So the leaves would come at the same time as these little breber figs. But if, the, if there's no brebers on the fig tree, it will never produce real fruit when the crop is supposed to come, which is in uh, September time. So in March, you get these little tiny almond Uh, type figs that aren't real fruit and then later in September you get the the true uh, figs but without the brebbers you will not ever get the actual uh, fig because for some reason uh, the, the two things are sort of connected. And so Jesus when he looked at this fig tree and it must have been in the March time um, and obviously, very close to to his sacrifice, which we know was that type t- time of year, he goes. And here's another thing, of course. Jesus is a servant. He was, let's call him a peasant. He was the lowest of the low, and saw himself as a servant to everyone. And there he was, looking for these tiny little brebers to eat, and there weren't any. And because of that, he says, "You're not going to produce any fruit. There will be no figs on you." And therefore, he cursed it. Now, of course, this isn't just Jesus falling out with a tree because it didn't have some fruit on. Jesus isn't walking around thinking, I'm fed up with you tree because you haven't got little almond things for me to eat. You haven't got little brebbers. Therefore, I'm just going to curse you. This isn't what it's about. And of course, we know it's not what it's about. What it's about, it's about Israel. Jesus has reached the end, almost, of his whole journey. Uh, He's been all around Israel, top to bottom, and he's now coming into uh, Jerusalem. And he knows that he is going to be condemned and the the crowds are going to call for him to be crucified. And it's the culmination of the withering of the nation of Israel itself. Um, there were some good figs in, in the land, but very, very few compared to the masses, and that's still the case today, isn't it? There's very, very few that truly turn to Jesus, and the, and the masses uh, turn against him. So when Jesus was cursing this fig tree, it was basically him cursing the nation itself. And that picture that you can see on the screen there of a tree that is withered away is exactly what was going to happen to the entire nation of Israel. Now, here's another interesting thing, though. Jesus withered it. He didn't destroy it. He didn't actually chop it down. He could, couldn't he have commanded for that tree to be felled? But he didn't command for the tree to be felled. He withered it and it stopped producing fruit. And anything that withers has always got the ability to come back to life again. Now, of course, we know in the the New Testament, in the Olivet Prophecy, that Jesus went into a lot more detail about the complete withering of the fig tree of Israel, because he foretold what was going to happen in AD 70 when the nation of Israel was going to come to an end and they're really they're terrible words they're really disturbing words in Luke chapter 21 verse 20 this is Jesus speaking uh, to his disciples before he was crucified prophesying about the time when Israel itself was going to come to an end, um, and I've highlighted some phrases there in in yellow. But I'll, I'll, let's let's just read a few of these. When you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. In verse twenty two, it says, "These be the days of vengeance. Uh, woe to them that are with child! Woe to them that are uh, pregnant! Woe to those who are breastfeeding!" There's going to be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and the wrath came upon all the people uh, living in in the land, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be ca- taken captive into all nations. Now you might think this is a very harsh thing to have done because you know there must have been you might imagine some faithful people in the land there clearly weren't that many because the vengeance is upon the entire uh, on, uh, upon the entire people in the entire land but here's the interesting thing because in verse 21 that i skipped out jesus did give a message to those who would listen to him that they could have fled the destruction that was coming because in verse 21 it says when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those which are in the midst of it depart out and let them not that are in the countries enter there into it. So in other words, you know, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, I'm telling you, you need to get out because the days of vengeance are coming. There's going to be wrath. People are going to be killed and led away captive. And very, very, very few people historically looking back fled when Jesus told them to flee. It was a minuscule percentage that heeded his words and the vast majority stayed in the land and the vengeance uh, came upon them. And again, it's a lesson to us all to listen to the words of Jesus. And of course, all of these, the desolation, the vengeance, the wrath, uh, the killing and the captivity of people came about because of God holding the, the, the nation accountable for the sacrifice and the killing of, of his son. That's why they've, they're days of vengeance and wrath, and, and that's what Jesus knew was going to happen. And of course, we know that even today, I mean, this is an older map, it goes back to 1991, but even now you can see that people have been scattered into, the Jews, sorry, have been scattered into all nations, On earth, exactly as um, Jesus said that they would be. But of course, it didn't end there. We know it didn't. Uh, The fig tree was withered, it wasn't destroyed entirely forever. And there's the little clue as to that at the end of that little passage that we've just been looking at in Luke 21. At the end of verse 24, it says that Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles, non Jewish people, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled and so there was going to come a point says Jesus when actually the fig tree is going to blossom again because Jerusalem won't be trodden down of the Gentiles and the logic says therefore that it would be controlled in the future once again um, when Israel's back in the land and of course what we then link to is almost the last Few passages about the uh, fig tree, because in Luke twenty one, at the end of the passage that we've just been looking about, looking at, Jesus tells a parable of the budding fig tree. So we've had the withering of the physical tree uh, a week ago, or uh, you know, when the 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 the, the, um, the instance that we're just looking at, and now we've got Jesus telling a parable of the budding fig tree and Jesus said to them a parable and he said behold the fig tree and all the trees when they now shoot forth when you see them budding you see and know of your own selves that summer's now nigh at hand so likewise ye when you see these things come to pass know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand So when you see the fig tree uh, growing again and sprouting again and putting forth its leaves again, shooting forth, the kingdom of God is, is about to come. It's nigh at hand. Verily, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. And of course, the wonder of it all is, is that Israel came to an end in AD 70, but in 1948, Israel was born again. The fig tree did reappear on planet Earth once again, almost two thousand years later. Israel is born again, which is which is absolutely um, astounding, isn't it? To think that these things have happened, which must put us in the territory of the kingdom of God being nigh at hand. Now, there's a little phrase there which a lot of people have thought about, uh, I know I have over the years, where it says this generation shall not pass away. So the generation that sees the fig tree coming to life again will not pass away until everything's been fulfilled. And I'm just going to play you a little video clip. It lasts about two minutes. Hopefully we've got a bit of time. I'm just going to play you this little um, video. It's not a Christadelphian video, but I think it puts across very well Um, what all of this uh, might mean in terms of this parable
1: one of the most enduring prophetic perspectives is popularly called the fig tree prophecy which some christians believe the lord revealed as an end times parable in a nutshell Many prophetic students of the Bible who seek to understand the mystery of this parable revealed by Jesus at the end of his ministry conclude that if the fig tree represents Israel then the parable is meant to notify us that the generation that witnesses the rebirth of Israel will not pass away until the time when Christ comes again to set up his literal 1,000 year kingdom here on the earth. The key to understanding this parable is to first understand that in a parable, one thing stands for another thing. In this parable, it is believed that a tree isn't really a tree, but rather a tree stands for a nation. The solution to the parable is not based on trying to figure out the length of a generation, but by understanding that those the generation that was born coincidental to the miracle birth of Israel on May 14, 1948, will not pass away until Jesus returns after the seven-year Great Tribulation. Upon His coming, He will destroy the enemies of Israel, administer the sheep and goat judgment, and establish His 1,000-year kingdom here on the earth. We read in the Psalms that a man is given a lifespan of 70 years, and if by reason of strength, 80 years. This is the general time period of man's longevity, and it is true to this day. If you add 80 years to 1948, the year Israel became a nation. You may end up with the expectation that Jesus will return in 2028. While the birth of Israel is a date fixed, is it possible that Jesus might return in 2030? Will there still be a remaining part of the generation that witnessed a rebirth of Israel alive at the age of 82? What about 2033? Will there be a remnant of the generation that witnessed Israel become a nation who have reached the age of 85? It is not impossible to imagine, although I believe it is both unlikely and not the correct understanding of the parable. So, while these dates are all possible, the one that matches the biblical revelation seems to be the 80 years beginning in 1948 and ending in 2028. In other words, the generation that was born the same day Israel was born. They will reach the age of 80 in 2028. What I have just described is the most common end times prophetic understanding of the parable of the fig tree.
0: So that's quite interesting, isn't it, to think about this. And, and what we don't want to do is put dates on it. But clearly Jesus is saying, if when you see uh, Israel being recreated and the fig tree sprouting forth then a generation will not pass away and I think that's a really important point for us to make the generation will not pass away in other words it is going to come back before the generation has passed away so it 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 might be before 2028 maybe it's after but something is definitely putting us in the very very last days isn't it this parable that Jesus is talking about however we want to crunch the numbers whatever we want to think about in terms of dates we know with absolute assurity that all things will will be fulfilled for the generation that saw uh, the uh, Israel being reborn on the 14th of May 1948 and so we must be in the very 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 last days because, as we say, the generation shall not pass away till all these things are fulfilled, which puts the current uh, turmoil in the world with COVID and then lurching straight into uh, potentially World War Three. Many of uh, people are talking about that at the moment with the events in Ukraine and Russia. You know, all of this certainly shows us that we really are at the very end of time. Now, there's one other quick thing I wanted to mention in relation to this parable, because it isn't just the fig tree Notice, It says, behold the fig tree and all the trees. So Jesus is saying, don't just look for the birth of Israel, look for other trees that are starting to sprout forth. Have a look at this.
1: The addition of Jesus' statement regarding all the trees makes the prophetic parable even clearer and more compelling. A book could be written, and perhaps it has, about what happened at the end of World War I when the Ottoman Empire that had ruled the entire Middle East with an iron hand for over 400 years came to an end in the first part of the 20th century. The Ottoman Empire supported Germany in the First World War, and when Germany lost the war, the Ottoman Empire was dismantled and reassembled by the French and the English in such a way that they hoped the Empire would never rise again. Let me paint these events with a broad brush in order that you might appreciate that the parable of Jesus was actually a forecast of one of the most earth-shaking events in all human history, the end of the Ottoman Empire and the reestablishment of a dozen new nation-states with new borders drawn by the English and the French. To keep this simple, Let's look at the nation-states that were re-established that bordered ancient Israel. The date palm tree began to blossom as the modern kingdom of Saudi Arabia was founded in 1932. The cedar tree began to blossom as the French protectorate, Lebanon, became a sovereign nation in 1943. The palm tree began to blossom as Jordan became a sovereign kingdom in 1946 and the olive tree began to blossom as Syria became a sovereign kingdom in 1943. The fig tree began to blossom on May 14, 1948, and if there is any question about the fig tree being a picture of Israel, one only need read the Gospel narrative. The cursing of the fig tree is not to be confused with the fig tree prophecy. They are two separate events. What links them together is the simple fact that Jesus picked the fig tree as a picture of Israel. The cursed fig tree was a picture of Israel that was fruitless and therefore useless. It was cursed. The parable of the fig tree, on the other hand, is a picture of the fig tree coming back to life. In other words, Israel is reborn and will produce fruit and be a light to the nation just as prophesied. When does this happen? The answer is immediately after the time of Jacob's trouble, when Christ sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and Israel is no longer the tail, but the head of all the nations of the world. Jesus clearly was identifying Israel as the fig tree, and so the cursed fig tree is one bookend, and the fruitful fig tree is the other bookend.
0: And there you go. The cursed is one end, and the, the revival of the fig tree is the other bookend. In fact, of course, we read in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23, that in the future, this is what's going to happen. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, this is when Jesus is back, 10 people from all the languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let's go with you because we've heard that God is with you. And that's exactly what that person was just saying on that video, that this is going to be the case. That, And this is now the fig tree fully bearing fruit and people recognizing that. The very last reference to figs though, isn't here. It's actually in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, we read about the final judgment of the world be, being like falling figs remarkably because in Revelation 6 verse 13 it says, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every Freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And when it says untimely figs there that are falling, it basically means unripe or unpollinated figs. In other words, what's going to happen is anybody that is not pollinated by Christ in other words hasn't accepted his sacrifice remember we come back to the tree and we said that the tree of knowledge of good and evil has got uh two different types of figs there are those who are evil that have just wholesale rejected uh God and Christ and there are others that are, are green and good but to be a good fig you've got to have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus And anybody that hasn't will wither and will fall, and that is the final judgment. And what is left is purely good figs. That's all that's left on the tree. After the judgment, when all the bad figs have fallen, and all those who've rejected Jesus have fallen, all you're left with are good figs. And and the final uh, slide here is a picture that I showed you before, because this is quite an amazing passage because it talks about Jesus being back on this earth and all the world going to hear about the truth about God's word and it says in the last days it will come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it will be exalted above the hills and people will flow unto it and many nations shall come and say come let's go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And do you know what the next verse says. But. They shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk, everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And so the final picture that we're given is of you and me, God willing, who've put their faith and trust in Jesus, accepted his sacrifice, still being on that tree of Israel at the very end as a good fig, not because we are good, but because we've accepted his sacrifice. The final picture is that we sit under a fig tree, under his fig tree in the kingdom, no more being afraid and living for ever and ever in a perfect world. And that is why at the very beginning, I called this the fig tree a sign for all time, because it truly is a sign for all time. We started in Genesis and went right the way through the whole history of Israel, um, and it even points uh, to the future when Jesus is here, and there is a time of great peace and righteousness, and that is the time, surely, that we all long for. And surely, with the parable of the fig tree, it shows us that we are so very, very close to that day coming.